My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really, really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest uh, with us this morning. Um, we are really honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. Uh, we're going to jump back into the book of Romans today. We've been going through the book of Romans for almost a year and a half now. We've taken a few breaks here and there to do different series, but we're going to jump back in. and We're going to finish the book before Advent. So we'll finish the book in the next four or five weeks. Um, so we're going to be in Romans 14, and so um, <clears throat> if you want to follow along in your Bibles, um, you can go to uh, page 553, 553 in the Bibles that are scattered about throughout the room if you use one of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home. That's our gift um, from us to you. We think everyone should have a Bible, so um, um, go ahead and take that home. I want to call your attention to last week. Um, many people were out of town because of fall break, but Matt Mosier preached a standalone sermon on um, the gospel and work. And I think it was a very um, kind of a, a good needed sermon for a lot of people. I think if you're, it, it, whether you're in a career, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a student uh, that will have a full-time job and have a career one day, I think it's a, a good uh, thing to go back and listen to. So I encourage you to listen to that. That was last week. It was a standalone sermon by Matt Mosier, one of our elders. He, he did a, uh, a really good, really good job. So let's look at Romans 14. We're going to read the whole chapter. <laughs> to give a lot of context to, this, context to this. We've been out of the book a while, so let's jump back in. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while, one, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let not... Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, its, in, an, in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil." For the kingdom of God is a, not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. 
Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for such detailed passages like we have today. Passages that really give us an idea of how we are to live among one another. How are we to treat one another um, as brothers and sisters in Christ? Especially when it comes to matters that we disagree on, we thank you for giving us this, this picture of how we can remain unified in the faith when we have different opinions about things. We, we're so thankful that in this theological uh, masterpiece of the book of Romans, um, you have these chapters at the end of the, the, the book that give us such insight on how to live. And, and don't, you don't leave us without answers. You leave us with practical examples of how to live our faith out in the day in and day out uh, matters of life. So we're so thankful for that. I pray that as we go through it, that it, you would change our minds, you would change your hearts, you would change the way we live as a result of studying it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so before we jump back into Romans... Um, wanted to just call you to a, a fact that um, October 31st is, uh, is, is the date that is, is, is most widely known as the birth date of the Protestant Reformation, okay? And that's coming up in, in, a, in a week and a half or so. And so you're going to be hearing a lot about the Reformation in the next few weeks. And so I just wanted to touch on that briefly to give you a taste of that. And maybe you can do some reading on your own moving forward. Uh, uh, October 31st, 1517 is, is the date that is widely recognized as the day it started. And that's 500 years ago. So this is a big deal. It's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was a widespread, really theological revolt, revolt in Europe. Um, against the abuses and control of the Roman Catholic Church. You had guys like Martin Luther in Germany, John Calvin in France, uh, Zwingli in Switzerland, these, these theologians who, <coughs> who protested, um, which is where we get Protestant from, that protested the various uh, unbiblical practices that were going on in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and the key event of the Reformation is generally considered to be Luther's uh, posting of his 95 Thesis um, on the church door in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. Um, in my opinion, the easiest way to remember the Reformation, this is just the, the, the basics of it, um, I have a slide up here, are the five solas. Um, this is Latin, um, but translated into English. The first one is, is <coughs> um, Scripture alone, and then you have faith alone, Grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. Okay, and to, to the uh, the Bible alone, Scripture alone, the Bible is our highest authority. Faith alone, we are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Grace alone, we are saved by grace, the grace of God alone. Uh, Christ alone, Jesus Christ is our only uh, King and Savior. He is the only one who can save us. And um, to the glory of God alone, we do all things for the glory of God. Okay, and you know, uh, two through four, their faith, grace, and Christ all fit together in the salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Okay, so those things kind of fit together in that way. Um, and, and really, it's, it's a matter of, of, of life and death for the people that, um, that were around during this time. People died for this. Um, people who didn't agree, and once these things came to light, 
they began to, to talk about it and, and really fight about it and push back against the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church um, jealously guarded their position on things. They had a lot of power at stake, a lot of political power at stake. And anyone who went against the Catholic Church was labeled a heretic and, and, and put to burn at the stake. They were killed for speaking against the Catholic Church. Um, and there were many people who were killed during this time for these five things, fighting just for these five things, um, and, uh, and championing them and teaching about them and those kinds of things. And so this wasn't, um, as you read about this and think about this, this wasn't just a theological debate uh, that some geeky theologians got together and decided they wanted to change some things in the church. Like this was life and death, not just for the theologians, but also for just the common people who didn't really have the Bible in their own language. And that came about during the Reformation. They began to think on their own and realize that the Catholic Church was not doing things the way uh, we saw them in the Scripture. So they began to push back and fight against that, and they, many lost their lives for it. So when it comes to these things, we don't need to take them for granted. We need to treasure them. We need to think on them. We need to keep them at the heartbeat of, 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 of who we are and what we do. Because if you lose any one of these five, if you lose any one of these five, our salvation falls apart. They all five go together. They all hold together. Um, and so thinking about the 500th anniversary of this, it's really important for us just to take some time and think about that. We haven't done that uh, a lot, tying what we do here back to the Reformation. But because it's the, the birthday coming up, um, the anniversary, we should uh, be able to uh, do that and, and call ourselves back. So I encourage you to do reading on your own. There's a lot of blog posts being written right now. We're going to try to post some stuff this week um, to help you further in your study of that. So October 31st, Halloween, you can always remember that, is um, typically the day we observe uh, Reformation Day. So the Reformation it ties well into the book of Romans because Romans, along with Galatians, were the two books that really framed up and were the foundation for much of what the um, reformers were talking about. This idea of you're saved by grace through faith alone. And Romans and Galatians um, have the most about those subjects in the books. So to, to review, to kind of come to, to where we're at now, we've, we've been taking a, about a 10-week break from Romans. So quick review. Chapters 1 to 3, uh, Paul showed how human beings um, lack um, the righteousness they, they need to be reconciled back to God. Um, we're hopeless without somebody outside of us intervening for us. We can't save ourselves. Chapters 1 to 3 paint that picture for us. Chapters 4 to 5 teach that we are given the righteousness uh, of God when God justifies us by faith. Chapters 6 to 8 show that we must demonstrate God's righteousness in how we live. We're transformed now through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're new people. Therefore, our lives should look different as a result of that. Chapters 9 through 11, Paul zooms out and looks at salvation from this big sweeping historical narrative and, and more specifically kind of focuses in on, on how the Jews and the Gentiles fit together in God's big plan and narrative of salvation. And then in chapters 12 and 13, Paul begins showing us how God's righteousness, all these things that are true of us now as followers of Jesus, how does it work itself out in specific areas of our lives? And it seems like in chapter 14, Paul, here, here, before we get started, he says, okay, you, you get all that. You know all that. Um, I, I taught you what it means to love one another, love your enemies, submit to the governing authorities. I just taught you that. Now let's actually talk about something that's going on inside the church. Let's give you a case study to help us think how to love one another, how to live this out in the day in and day out. 
And all of Scripture is about us glorifying God. That's the main point of everything we do in all of Scripture. <laughs> and throughout the Scriptures, one of the primary ways we do that is to love one another, to love each other, to lay, our da- lay down our lives for one another. And especially in the church, one of the ways is to remain unified. I mean, unified in our faith around the purpose of glorifying God. So Paul's purpose, big picture in this chapter we're about to look at, is unity. I think unity is, is Paul's main goal as we really get deep into this today. <clears throat> and I can say as I've been preparing and studying for this this week, I think Romans 14, which kind of caught me off guard, but I think it's one of the most practical and important chapters in all of the scriptures as it pertains to how are we to live life as followers of Jesus together day in and day out, year by year, for the many years into the future. How do we actually be community together? Because it's all not gonna, we're, we're not always going to agree with one another. It's not always going to be easy. So when there's those rubs, how do we handle that? What do we do with those things? And that's why I think it's so important this chapter is to how the church remains unified um, <coughs> throughout many, many years um, looking into the future. So let's go. Uh, Romans 14, let's look at 1 through 4 to begin with. And I think this is the, the, the thesis of the chapter. So we're going to spend the majority of our time in these four verses. So verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. This is a proof text for me for... Um, when Nicole wants me to push, try to push veggies on me, I said, that's what weak people eat. Weak people eat vegetables. Uh, give me some meat. No veggies for me. Uh, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. <clears throat> so Paul doesn't mention it here. But the, the, the word, the idea that Paul is talking about in this whole chapter is conscience. Okay, is conscience. Um, a person's conscience. Whether you're a, a, a committed follower of Jesus or you're in here, you're the strongest atheist and want nothing to do with God, you have a conscience. Okay, it's hardwired into our human nature. We all have consciences. That's a hard word to say, consciousness. So bear with me as I say that throughout uh, the, the sermon today. Um, Example, when we're driving along and any of us sees the red and blue lights flash in our mirror behind us, we have that, 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 that pit in our guilty feeling in our stomach that hits us. There's a short window of time there where it's like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And if it is you, it, that, that feeling gets even deeper. That's a conscience, okay? Because in our culture, what those red and blue lights mean is that you've done something wrong. You've broken the law. Like that, that police officer didn't have to come up to you and, and make you feel bad. It was like instant. Red and blue flashing lights. Ugh. Like, oh, oh no, oh no. And then if it's you, then it, it, it gets even worse. Um, Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley in their book, Conscience, um, which I spent a lot of time in these last couple weeks. It's a great book. They define conscience this way. Uh, your conscience is your awareness or sense of what you believe is right and wrong. Your awareness or sense of what you believe is right and wrong. Like I said, we all have a conscience. The scripture tells us this much. Romans 2, 14 through 15 says this. For when the Gentiles, it's all of those who, who aren't Jews, who do not have the law, 
by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show, so they don't have the law in front of them. They're not reading it. They don't know it, the Gentiles, the Jewish law. 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So think of your conscience as a check engine light. As a check engine light. Um, It's not going to be correct all the time, but you expect it to be correct most of the time. And that point of that light in your car, when they put it there, is to get your attention. It's usually a bright color. It's basically saying, hey, something, something's probably wrong. You need to pay attention. You need to think about your engine, the way your car works, maybe even take it in. That's the purpose of that light. If we didn't know that, most of us would just keep driving our cars and not know anything's wrong. So that light is to get our attention. Same thing with our conscience and how we live. And if we look back at the text, throughout chapter 14, Paul is going to use examples of things that were causing division in the Roman church. This is the case study he's laying out here. And in this chapter, he's saying it was food and holy days, food offered to idols and these holy days on the Jewish calendar. So in the Jewish religion, you were not um, allowed to eat food that was the, the food was consecrated to go to the to sell for the specific purpose of worshiping idols in the temples, in this culture. So meat would be consecrated to sell for people to take the meat and then go sacrifice it to idols. So uh, a practicing Jew would abstain from any of that kind of meat because it was already consecrated to go for uh, the the, uh, the worshiping of idols. And much more, many of these Christians were coming out of that background. So when they saw this meat, even though the scriptures didn't prohibit um, them eating this meat, especially as Christians now, they still had, um, call it baggage, or just this, they were coming out of this background that said this is bad. And it had been so ingrained in their conscience that they, they couldn't do it. They had trouble seeing this food as clean now. Whereas those coming from a Gentile background, they could care less. Like that, that was never a law to them. That was never a part of their conscience. So they're just like, hey, it's meat, it's good. I'm going to go buy it and, and, and eat it for myself. I'm not going to go sacrifice to the temple, but the, the Jewish Christians <coughs> thought different. And then as far as these days go, there were these days where they would, they, festivals would take place on. You also had the Sabbath that would be included in this. There were restrictions around these days. You, could, you should do this and not do this on these days. Again, Jewish Christians grew up having these, these regulations on all of these days. So when these days came back around on the calendar, they were Christians. They were still following the restrictions that they followed when they were um, in, in the Judaism faith, in the Jewish faith. Okay? And the Gentile Christians, they could care less. Once again, it's just another day on the calendar for a Gentile Christian. So they were, they were just living life as they normally would live on these days. So these are the two issues Paul's kind of putting forward here as a case study. We, we don't struggle with those necessarily in our church culture, but there are things we do struggle with. Uh, some of them include, um, do we have the freedom to drink alcohol? If we're of age and we're not getting drunk, can a Christian drink alcohol? Is it permissible for a Christian to drink alcohol? Um, should we watch certain rated R movies? Okay, for If a movie has a lot of uh, language and violence, should a Christian watch a rated R movie? Um, how should Christians dress? Where's the line that kind of crosses over, uh, crosses the modesty line as Christians? Um, the political movement you identify with. 
a lot of conscience wrapped up in those political things. Your philosophy of schooling your kids. Okay? A lot of uh, passion surrounded that. Whether you celebrate Halloween or not. What preference you have for worship styles. So as I list those things, many, some of you think, yeah, I, I have an opinion of that. Maybe that opinion is a part of your conscience. Uh, one story that I remember when I start thinking of conscience is, and this has often revealed your conscience and, and how your conscience differs from other people when you go to another country and kind of are facing some of their customs. I lived in China for a year, and one of the customs in China, and this is a huge deal to them, is that when you walk into someone's home, you take off your shoes. Maybe you, some of you have been in this culture. And if, if you forgot, um, they, were, they were too nice to ask you to take it off. So it basically, you were putting them in a really awkward position if you didn't take your shoes off. Because they were going to tell you, but they were feeling it this whole time because it was deeply ingrained in their conscience that the, the bottom of your feet or shoes are dirty and they shouldn't be brought into a house. So take your shoes off outside and then bring them, carry them in and lay them by the door. From, from coming from the United States, at least, and even in my background, that wasn't a thing. Sometimes I took my shoes off, but sometimes I didn't. And I wasn't thinking what, was, what I was bringing in on the bottom of my shoes as I was walking into my house. I never, that wasn't a part of my conscience. I had, and, and it's not, I'm not restricted by that in the scriptures either. So I didn't have, I, could, I, I had the freedom to wear shoes in the house if I wanted to. So I had to, I had to adjust my conscience to kind of try to adjust my, my conscience to fit their conscience. Now, though, on the flip side of this, once you took your shoes off, all Chinese homes had this little rack of shoes, these plastic flip-flops on the ground. Now, my conscience starts pinging me when I think, how many people have worn these plastic flip-flops without socks? Like, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem um, hygienic to me. So they're telling me, and part of my conscience is, no, I don't wear another person's flip-flops. There's no telling how many people walked around in your house in these plastic flip-flops. So now, like, I'm having to kind of, my conscience is hitting me when I slide these flip-flops on my feet and wear them around the house for another three hours. But I'm a guest. I'm, I'm there to be a missionary. And so in, in both of those cases, I try to lay down my, my preferences and try to set aside my conscience. But for a while, it was pretty uncomfortable as I lived there. I slowly got over that, but it took time for, for my conscience, like, to, there was nothing wrong. There's nothing biblical about wearing somebody else's shoes. That's not unclean according to the scriptures. That's a, that's a conscience preference of mine, okay? That wasn't anything to do with scripture. So, of course, I can lay that aside. But it took some time and it took some work, okay? So, for this passage, Paul is breaking the Christian. Now, everyone here is a Christian in this passage. So, he's breaking Christians down into two categories. You have strong Christians and weak Christians, according to these two issues, okay? So it's not in general strong and weak, but for these issues, you had strong Christians and you had weak Christians, okay? Both are Christians, and both are honoring God by their actions, the Scripture says. So it's important to know that Paul's not necessarily devaluing the weaker Christian here, but he's, called, he's saying that their, their, their maturity, their matter, how they handle faith with these particular issues, they're a little immature here. They're a little weak. Um, so the weak person to Paul... Are, are someone on these particular issues who still feels their consciousness pulling them towards abstaining from meat and observing holy days with their restrictions. Okay? So that's who the weak person is. Someone who's saying, uh, I, even though the Bible gives me freedom to do these things, my conscience is weak. Like, I, I can't do it. 
And so that's the weak person here <laughs> that Paul is addressing. And he's not saying that they're in sin for following their conscience, uh, but he is saying their conscience is weak and needs to kind of mature by aligning with the issues, uh, with these issues on what Scripture says. Okay? So being weak is not sinful or wrong, but it, he is saying it's not strong. Okay? There maybe is some places to grow there. Now, <clears throat> to the strong, and this is who Paul spends the majority of his time actually talking to, not the weak, but the strong. Um, he's, according to the strong, he's saying, you know better, kind of like, you, you're, you're mature. You should know better about these things, okay? Yes, your conscience in these areas are aligned more with Scripture. But be, be, be aware, self-aware enough to not flaunt your freedoms in front of people whose consciousness may be weak. Be careful. Be aware. You're unified. You're a family now, so be careful when you do these things that could cause um, the, the weaker brother to stumble. We'll talk about the stumbling block here in a second. Um, and to, to cause a weaker Christian to go against their conscience. And every church has weak Christians and strong Christians on certain matters of the faith. And some, I guarantee you some issues you're the weak Brother, sister, in some issues, you're the strong brother or sister. Kind of like my story indicates, even in China, in that one activity, I was weak on one and strong on other, and then the Chinese were weak on one and strong on, on the other, as far as this conscience goes. <laughs> and verse 3 says, God has welcomed all. God has welcomed the weak and the strong. So if God has welcomed, if God has justified, if God has reconciled both, the weak and the strong, to himself, how can we condemn our brothers and sisters for these matters? So it's saying don't condemn your brothers and sisters over these matters um, of the faith. They're not important enough. So verses uh, 5 through 12 here, we're not going to go through all of these just for the sake of time, but he's going to now kind of shift to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the holy days here and talk, use that as an illustration, but he has the same point. Um, in and, and, and these areas, but one of the, a few of the things he brings up in that section are, one, that, that we should give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to glorify God. They're trying to do what they think is right according to their conscience. And our consciences aren't a bad thing. They're given to us by God, the scripture says. So be patient. Don't assume the worst in your brother and sister. Assume they're trying to glorify God in these matters, but they're just trying to figure out the way. He says, focusing on honoring God, giving thanks to God for the grace that he has shown you and not be so concerned with your weaker brothers and sisters. Don't, yet, don't let these secondary issues create disunity in the body. And he also says that we shouldn't judge each other in these matters because one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And we need to let God do his job when it comes to judging on these matters. And then in verse 13, uh, Paul uh, introduces this idea of a stumbling block. Let's read this 13 through 15. <clears throat> Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, in itself. Jesus says that. Nothing unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved... By what you eat, you are no longer working, uh, walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So even though Jesus says nothing is unclean, especially in the matters of food, he says all food is clean now 
as, a, as it pertains to the ceremonial law and some of the Jewish customs, those kinds of things. It's clean. But it becomes unclean if someone thinks it's unclean in their conscience. Okay? So he's telling the strong person, your freedom to eat meat is correct. You're correct. That's a correct biblical belief. But don't let your freedom here destroy the faith of a weaker brother. This is where that idea of a stumbling block comes in. So Christians who have, a, the stronger Christians who have a, a, a strong conscience shouldn't allow, um, shouldn't embolden, give, give, give boldness to their weaker brother or sister to disregard their conscience. Because once we start disregarding our conscience, like the check engine light, we, once we start ignoring the check engine light, we kind of think that the, the check engine light really use, loses its power. Have you ever noticed that? Like when you ignore that light, maybe it goes off for a little bit, then it comes back on. And it may be a completely different issue that you should check out, but you ignore it because, oh, that's one all the time. I, you know, whatever. That's the same thing here. Like, if you cause a weaker brother to disregard their conscience and go against their conscience, you do that too much, uh, it sears your conscience. Your conscience loses its power, and it's something God has given us for our benefit. It's an internal compass for us. So he's saying, be careful. And, and it's not, the concern here is not that, that our freedoms would irritate or annoy um, or even offend the weaker brother or sister. It's much, much deeper than that. Um, if, if someone doesn't like your freedoms, they just don't like it, that's their problem. But once you know it's affecting their conscience, and this is where communication and community comes in and talking through some of these things, once you realize it's hitting this person deep, the stronger person needs to lay the freedom down. Okay, I'll abstain from meat. Okay, I won't do these things on these holy days. Or in this situation, I'm not going to drink alcohol. Even though I feel the freedom I'm of age to do this, I'm going to lay it down here. Because I know, I know now my weaker brother or sister, their consciousness is, is hurt when, I, when this is around, when this issue comes up. Okay? And he also says in this passage that Christ gave his life up for that brother or sister. So if Christ gave himself up for this brother and sister, how can we not give up our freedom? How can we not give up the things that the Bible allows us to do? How can we not give that up for the sake of someone who is weaker and struggling in this particular area? We should give those things up, Paul is saying. This is what he's talking about when he talks about a stumbling block. That's the stumbling block picture there when we put that thing out there for our brothers and sisters to stumble over our behavior as it comes to these matters. So here, here, here's kind of a summary there. We must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. It's our conscience. And hopefully it's, it's aligning more and more with the scriptures. But we all, must also always consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. So when we're living in the community, we need to pay attention, especially on these matters. Those matters I listed earlier, I think we all kind of know there are some things, there are some gray areas in, our, in churches in the United States. So let's be, let's be aware of these gray areas as we live life around our brothers and sisters. Um, and this kind of goes back to the Reformation here, where we say, by grace through faith alone. So if that's true, then we, we know who we were before we were saved. We can lay down these things. We can be humble. It allows us to, to hold these things loosely because what we've been given in Christ if it was saved by grace through abstaining from rated R movies, that that was what the scripture said, then absolutely, that's a hill to die on. But the scriptures don't say that, okay? 
So the, those are the things he wants. To, he's trying to point them back to the main thing. Christ died for your brothers and sisters. Love them. Create, uh, maintain unity um, with them. So the question that we should ask ourselves frequently is, is this harmful to my brother and sister? Is this harmful to them? Luther's, I feel like we should quote Luther today. Um, Luther's, uh, one of Luther's quotes, I think this is probably more of his famous ones. He says, a, a Christian man or woman is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. All, and a Christian man or woman is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So Luther's basically trying to, there's a tension here. There's two sides here, and we're always wavering between these two sides in community. Yes, we're, we have a lot of freedoms in Christ, a lot of freedoms in Christ. However, we're also a servant of all. So for a servant of all, we need to be aware of how these freedoms affect those who, are we, who we are around. Then in verses 16 through 21, we're not going to go verse by verse through these, but essentially it's saying here that don't make these secondary matters more important than the gospel. Um, don't make them more important than what God really requires of us in the scriptures. Disagreements uh, and, and fights and quarrelings about eating and drinking are not that important in the kingdom of God. What is important is building each other up in righteousness and peace and joy, he says in this passage. Um, so, in, so in the midst of strong opinions and matters of conscience, we should fight for peace and unity. That should be our goal, to fight for peace of unity, even though we have these strong opinions and our consciousness come into play on these matters. Let's read verse 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In this verse there, verse 22, when it says... Um, Talking about freedom there, he's basically saying, don't flaunt your freedoms. Like, keep your faith to yourself. He's saying, keep your faith in these matters to yourself. If you have faith and your faith is strong to be able to eat meat, whenever you want to eat meat in this case, just keep it to yourself. Hey, don't flaunt these freedoms. When you know you have Jewish brothers and sisters all around you who this is a huge issue to them, don't flaunt it. Okay? One of the examples I think it's appropriate this time of year to talk about is Halloween. Halloween, okay? I'm sure some of you are like, go all out, Halloween. Like you're setting up like haunted houses in your front yard, um, scaring every little kid that comes by. And some of you are like, you know, that's, that's the devil's holiday. We don't, we don't do Halloween. We don't do Halloween. Candy's awful for you anyway. It's all bad, okay? So for my preference, my opinion, uh, we celebrate Halloween. Um, we celebrate Halloween. Um, one, because I think it's fun. That's the least important of the two reasons. But the more important reason is I think that it's the only time all year long that my neighbors are expecting me to come and knock on their door, expecting me to come knock on their door and ask for something, or Jack's asked for something. Um, but I had the opportunity, if I really pray about and take the opportunity, to meet my neighbor, to have a good conversation. And when neighbors, there's also the time of year when neighbors are, are really looking for a way to come to your front door. If you stay at home and put the light on and put candy out. And it's an opportunity for them to come to you and maybe you provide 
adult treats for then. You put cookies out that are adults only. And you put, you put hot chocolate out, hot cider out for the adults on a table on your porch. So when adults come up with their kids, you're giving them something. And who knows, they may stop for a few minutes. And then you get to know their name, maybe figure out where they live. And then, boom, you, you've, you've met a neighbor and something could happen for that. So I think Halloween is just a really good chance. And I don't have the, conscience, the consciousness about um, Halloween and the negative things that come along with that. My conscience doesn't ping ping me and it doesn't come, up, uh, doesn't come up inside of me when I think of Halloween. So we keep celebrating it. Okay? That's one example. You, others, like I mentioned, uh, political movements. Like, do you, are you self-aware enough to know on politics, it, have your opinions become a matter of conscience, which means that you're holding these things really, really tight that maybe the Bible doesn't speak to. Okay? Or um, watching movies, like I mentioned, with violence or bad language. Where would you fall on that, weaker or stronger? Okay, And so I think these things, it's, it's good to be self-aware of these issues that I think um, t- people have differing opinions and their consciousness are different. Now, to the strong on these issues, I think the temptation of the strong is to say, lighten up, enjoy your freedoms. You're being too legalistic. Weaker brother, you're being too legalistic. Man, that, that stuff's gone now. Enjoy it. Okay. And, and that's, that the temptation is to do that and not, not think about background, not think about stories, be very uh, insensitive to where people are coming from. Romans 15, 1, the very, the very first verse of the next chapter, he says, we who are strong, Paul's putting himself in that category, we who are strong, because he, he, he doesn't struggle with these two issues as a former Jew, he doesn't struggle with them. Uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. So that's his, that's his strong command to the strong on these matters. So our freedoms in Christ are given to us to enjoy unless they hurt our brothers and sisters. Now the temptation for the weak, somebody who's really struggling with something, take the Halloween and say, man, you, you're, you are big sinners if you're celebrating Halloween. Like I'm starting to worry about your salvation if you're celebrating Halloween. Like how... How could you? How could you? How could you do this on Halloween? This is Satan's holiday. Okay, so that's going to be the temptation for the weak in, in the case of Halloween. And so I think his message to the weak is, re- is first off, is realize that your conscience may not be biblical. Your conscience may not line up with what the Bible has to say about that issue. And, and, if, and if you don't know for sure, then don't be self-righteous about it. Don't be self-righteous because your conscience is, 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 is making you feel like this. Run it through Scripture. And if you think there's a sin issue and you can point to Scripture, have a talk with your brother or sister about it because we're a family. We can communicate about these things. It's okay. okay? Um, some things you're going to be strong on and some things you're going to be the weaker brother or sister on. So what's the process of this? I want to really help us kind of start to, to land the plane here. What's the process look like? Um, first off, I want to say that this passage is not talking about matters of sin. That's not what Paul is addressing here. If it's a clear matter of sin, according to the scripture, we, we rebuke, we correct, we, we, we surround, surround with other brothers and sisters and make sure, hey, by the way, like this, this doesn't seem right according to the scripture, okay? That's what, that's, these are matters that are not sinful according to the scripture, okay? So 
Again, that's why we're treating this kind of with very nuanced because it's not sin. Sin's much more straightforward if that's clear according to the scripture, okay? So the word of God, and this is kind of the process here I think that I go through, the word of God is the ultimate authority on matters of truth and belief. The ultimate authority. There's nothing above that authority. And our conscience, your consciences are, are right under that. God says they're good. I've given them to you, but they fall under scripture, but they're close to scripture. They're good. Our consciences are good. Um, and it's our maturity as Christians. One of the marks of, I think, of a mature Christian is over time that our consciences overlap evenly on scripture. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back or we get to heaven. We will always, our consciences are always hit us for different things that aren't biblical. Just part of maturing in the faith. Okay, so that's the word of God in our consciousness. Um, and so that when, when, it, when it, we want it, the goal is, is when that pings us, when it, the, the check engine light comes on, we want it to be biblical. We want it to be, oh, that's, that's a biblical conviction. And I should feel that way. I'm glad that check engine light is coming on because I need that because that's what the scripture says. Um, and then you have opinions, okay? So the Bible, conscious, and then I think opinions are way over here. They could be very, very sinful. They could be very, very godly. So I think when you have an opinion about something, we need to be self-aware enough to know, wow, I have a really strong opinion about this. I wonder if that's biblical. And then go back to the scripture and filter it through the Bible. So we got to study our Bible and read our Bible and know our Bible so we can check those opinions on Scripture. And if it's not found in Scripture, do not let that become a part of your conscience. Because once it's a part of your conscience, it's going to be hard to untrain yourself. Like me walking in and putting on dirty flip-flops in China. It took some time because that was like, oh, this is really, really hard. Um, So don't let your opinions become um, a part of your conscience because then it's hard to pull apart and really uh, filter that through. But here's the deal. We all have opinions. We all have opinions. We all have strong opinions about things. Okay? And that's okay. It's okay to have strong opinions about things. So first step, awareness of beliefs and opinion. Okay? Awareness, self-awareness. We need to have that first. Verse 5 in this, in this chapter says that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what Paul is saying here, it's good to be convinced about your Opinions. It's good to have a strong conscience. That's not a bad thing. I think some of us need to have a stronger conscience, have stronger convictions. I think a lot of us just kind of go around with whatever group we want to be a part of or be accepted by, and we just allow that group to kind of form our conscience and and form our opinions. So if you find yourself not really having strong convictions or opinions or a conscience about things, even like some gray areas, then I would say maybe, maybe you're not spending enough time Forming your conscience, enough time in the word. And really saying, what should I have a conscience about? And really drive home on that. Um, so awareness is the first step. And it's important to know that Paul doesn't condemn them for having consciousness. And he doesn't condemn, there's no condemning language in, in Paul here, other than being, being judgmental on your brothers and sisters for these matters. It's okay to have a strong conscience. And then be self-aware, filter those through scripture. And if it's not, if it's your opinion, and it's, and it's done line up with scripture, leave it over here. Leave it aside. Just be self-aware enough to know that I may like to fight over this. And so I need to be careful when this comes up because I tend to like to fight about this. And it's not biblical. And it doesn't help unify anybody when I like to fight about things that aren't biblical. So maybe set that over here on the side. So how do we do this? We <laughs> know the Bible, love the Bible, believe the Bible, obey the Bible. We become people of the Bible. 
Because once again, we want our conscience to, to lay over what the Bible says. If we understood God's will completely and, we, and our conscience matched up perfectly with Scripture, um, we would be in heaven. That's not, that doesn't exist, okay? So we're always working towards that. And we, we have a spirit of humility when it comes to this. Um, and one thing before we close, I notice, what I noticed Paul saying here is that he's not describing this picture of individualistic Christianity where we come together and see each other once or twice a week, put on our happy faces, act like everything's okay, and go on throughout the rest of our day. If that was it, he wouldn't have wrote this chapter. Like He wrote this chapter to say it is going to be messy. Family and community and living life together is going to be messy because all of us have strong opinions and those things become a matter of conscience. So when that happens, here's what you do. He gives us a clear path for how to handle those things. So if you find yourself not having a conscience or having strong opinions, I would ask, are you really involved in the community? Are you really living life close enough with people where you have some things that irritate you about people's consciences, about people's opinions, about those kinds of things? I'm going to close with this quote from Augustine um, or Augustine or whatever, you, depending on whoever you read, I guess. Um, this is one of his most famous quotes. He says this, in essentials, we should be unified. In non-essentials, we should be in liberty, show liberty to one another. And in all things, charity. Meaning in the essentials, the gospel, the errancy of scripture, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, we should be unified. Those are things to kind of break fellowship over if you don't agree with those things. It's hard to be unified. But in the secondary matters that we've been talking about today, and Paul addresses in Romans 14, uh, we we should show liberty to one another. We should show liberty to one another. And then when you flat out disagree with something that's biblical, even if you completely disagree on something that's, that's, that's so biblical you disagree on it, we should still show that person charity. Yeah, they don't agree with you. They live a different lifestyle than you would agree with. But we should still show that person charity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, once again, your word. The fact that you give us a, a chapter like this that, really gives us a peek behind the curtain of what the Roman church was struggling with. And it's so nice because I hear things all the time that fall into these categories. I have them. Brothers and sisters have them. The leadership of the church has them. So we need to know how to handle these types of things. When we have our conscience and we're struggling in areas and we believe something that may not be biblical, we need a process. We need to be helped with how to remain unified, how to have, um, show liberty to one another and be unified under the, the things that matter, like the gospel and the scripture and the glory of God, the salvation by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are the things we need to be about, not necessarily majoring on the other things. So we love you. We love your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we enter into a time of communion. Jesus took this bread shortly before he would go to the cross and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup. He says, this cup represents my blood that would be shed for you, covering past, present, and future sins. 
So now as you, as you gather together as a family, as the church, do these things. Remember, do communion to remember my grace. Remember of the faith that you have that I've given you. And remember that you're unified around the gospel. You're unified around Jesus. At the beginning of Romans 15, Paul, we'll look at it next week, but Paul uses the example of Christ. He says that Jesus was in heaven. He came to earth in the incarnation, became a human. He gave up everything and eventually gave up his life to save Wicked people, like those of us in this room who were saved, to save wicked people who didn't deserve it. So how can we not give up our preferences, give up our opinions, even give up our freedoms for the sake of our brother and sister in love? If Jesus did that for us, then we can do that for our brother and sister. So I encourage you, those of you who are followers of Jesus in this room, as we give you some time to think about the gospel Think about what Je- how Jesus is the example for how we do this. He is the example. And to remember your faith, remember your salvation. And then maybe think a little bit about your conscience. Think about the, 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 the things that matter in your life. And if there's something that kind of, oh yeah, that's me when I was talking, then maybe pray about that. Give that to God. Talk to God about that in the time that we give you. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I, I, I pray that you would consider um, um, putting your faith and belief in him. That he satisfied um, the wrath of God, his life, death, and resurrection for um, weak, imperfect, helpless people like everyone in this room. And if you have faith and belief that Jesus is um, who he said he was and he did what the Bible says he did. I encourage you to consider um, putting your faith and trust in him. That he did those things. If that's you, if that describes you, come take communion as well. But if, that, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not um, one who's following Jesus, then, um, and you need more time to think, you need more time to process, um, just stay where you're at. This is a, a thing for the family. But we want this to be a safe place that you can come and wrestle and doubt, have questions, Please come and talk to me. Please come and find me if you have really questions about anything I said today, but especially as it relates to salvation and what it means to be a Christian. Please come talk to me. Um, So take a few minutes, and then you can head to the back or come to the front uh, whenever you're ready.